0: Today's show is powered by Zbouni. The Zbouni app gives businesses free tools to start and grow online. They accept payments, build an e-store, and create mobile invoices in minutes. While the interview is brought to you by Zbouni, the guests and stories told are their own. Welcome to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. Today, we have a really interesting conversation and a prominent guest lined up. We'll be speaking to the founder and CEO of Property Finder Group, Michael Leani. Michael is a pioneer in innovation and technology in the real estate industry. The company has grown exponentially through the years into an impressive and culturally diverse team of 300 individuals that generates over 14 million monthly website hits across its six countries in operation. So, Property Finder is a real estate portal that facilitates the house hunting journey for both buyers and renters. They actually started nearly 14 years ago in 2007 as PropertyFinder.ae and they're owned and operated by the Property Finder Group which also owns and operates real estate portals and CRMs across MENA and Turkey. So we'll be explaining a lot of that jargon and we'll be discussing in more detail the story of Property Finder, what it's like to scale a prop tech company in MENA and also real estate marketing during a global pandemic. Uh, Welcome Michael. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for joining the podcast. Um, you're in your, your nice uh, offices in Media City, I can see.
1: Absolutely. I am here in Media City. We don't yet have a full office, uh, but a uh, few people in the office, few people working from home. It's uh, it's the new way to go.
0: Is that, so you, uh, you yourself, do you prefer working from the office? And have you been back most of the time uh, in the last year <laughs> or so? I think like everyone, I'm enjoying the
1: flexibility. So I'm enjoying to work partially from the office when I want to catch up with my colleagues and when we have a couple of important face-to-face meetings. And then I think it, the, the, the ability to be able to work from home and then you know, plug in through Zoom if you need to, but have the quiet, uh, uh, the peace that you get at home, which you rarely get into the office, is quite productive.
0: That's interesting from a flexibility and productivity point of view. Yeah, I think many people will staff like that as well. So I'm sure your employees are happier in that way. Uh, So, Michael, I did touch on it at the start, but can you just explain uh, Property Finder, uh, what it is, and and your business? Sure, absolutely. So, we're the leading real estate online brand. What does that mean?
1: Is that we are the go to destination for every uh, property seeker, whether they are looking to Rent a place, buy a place, invest into real estate, uh, residential and commercial, uh, existing homes or new homes. Uh, So all these verticals we cover. Um, And our business is to work with the real estate developers and the real estate brokers uh, to provide them qualified uh, property seekers. Um, So that's, in a a nutshell,
0: what we we do. In a a more uh, uh, summarized way, we help people find their home. That's what we do. Amazing, perfect. And uh, it's a very well-known brand and it, it, the name says that as well, to help you find a property. But how did you come up with the concept and how did, you, how did it start? How did the idea start?
1: So when I came for the first time
0: uh, to Dubai in 2005,
1: um, they were building the Palm Island, they were building the Marina. Uh, the Burj Khalifa wasn't to be seen uh, from the horizon yet. And everybody was um, focusing on building these amazing projects. And um, when I asked how do people search and how do people actually find a place to rent, everybody pointed me to the same uh, place, which was a newspaper, a supplement of a newspaper. And in a modern city like Dubai, to think that you'd had to flick through hundreds of pages of a newspaper in order to find a property sounded wrong. It sounded like there was an opportunity here to build something better, a better search engine, a better way to find a property. And um, uh, we wanted to go straight to the internet uh, because that was the right way to do it. Uh, But internet penetration was only at 40% back then, right? So people were not really turning to online websites to find their home. They were still looking for a piece of paper. So we started as a magazine. We started as a pre-distributed magazine and uh, we started distributing this magazine all across the city. And we also had a, a website that people could search but barely anybody would go online. And uh, and that's how we got traction, and we started um, classifying uh, the way Dubai was done through a map on, on the magazine, and there was color coded areas, and you could search apartment in Dubai Marina through a special color code, uh, rather than having to flick through hundreds of pages of uh, of, a, of a newspaper. So it was well organized, and um, we faced you know fierce competition as uh, any company that enters into a market. Uh, Gulf News was very much protective of their, uh, of their classified business. And, you know, it was a little bit the uh, David and Goliath kind of uh, scenario where, you know, we were uh, going straight for, um, for their customers. And so we, we had a bit of a fierce battle. And, uh, you know, to be honest, we almost went out of business. I mean, uh, we were pretty close uh, to closing shop until uh, we were able to attract the interest from uh, an international group uh, a group that's owned by Rupert Murdoch uh, called the REA Group, which is basically the leading real estate portal in Australia, mm-hmm. and um, and and they decided to come in and 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 invest uh, in in our business, and
0: that's uh, you know literally what saved us from uh, from bankruptcy. Amazing, so many things there. Such an interesting Dubai story as well. So it's a fascinating statistic from 2007 because it's not it's not 1997 to to know that the penetration was still had to grow a lot at that period is interesting, but that you did have it in mind for the business and that you wanted to do both. And then of course, the, the global downturn, the, the 2008 financial crisis, is that what led to the difficulty in the early stage of the business? Or was it, this, was it the business model um, and the internet penetration and, and the part that you had to grow first? Uh, what, what was the kind of factor there? So the struggle in the beginning
1: was just that we were attacking uh, a much larger player uh, that had a bigger audience, which was the newspaper. And real estate agents and developers didn't really need to change anything in the way they advertised. It was working for them the paper, and um, and 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 it was just you know um, a startup trying to get some market share. Um, what? Uh, What the the financial crisis provided was actually more of an opportunity, right? During crisis is when the best businesses are built. And uh, when the financial crisis came, um, the real estate agents needed a different way to advertise their property, a more affordable way to advertise their property than in the print. And that's when the online product became uh, actually a hit and and, and delivered the results that
0: they were looking for. Interesting. Um, and just going back to you, you kind of referenced the Gulf News in terms of competition. Uh, talking about competition, were you the only players? Were you the first players in the in this space on, on, on the sort of uh, offering that you have? Were you early on that level?
1: Yes, we were. There were other
0: players that uh, don't exist anymore today.
1: Uh, but we were among the first one, and obviously similar at the similar time. Um, Dubizzle also launched, right? Uh, But Dubizzle had a different approach where it was very much uh, consumer content that was posted on the website, whereas we were uh, uh, working only with real estate professionals. And that's how we kind of differentiated ourselves from the experience that Dubizzle offered, was that every listing on Property Finder was from a a registered uh, and licensed real estate broker Whereas the horizontals or the general classified had a bit of a mix of both. And so you could end up speaking to a broker, but you could also end up speaking to an individual. Um, and, and, and obviously, the, the, the consistency and the, and the
0: experience uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't the same than on property either. Interesting. So they were more of a marketplace and you were catered specifically towards a, a kind of a B2B sector. Um, I'm just fascinated by this, the era, the kind of the late noughties in terms of what you've just described um I, I remember i was in ireland at the time and they were there was a particular uh, property boom and there was references that similar as i'm sure was here with gulf news the, the property pullout section in the irish times was more than the newspaper and everyone was buying property so they were so excited about that but then it's so so thinking back then of course it doesn't exist now they had a portal as well in ireland uh, where, where were you before you came here, Michael, and how did you, how did you think that this was missing here?
1: Um, so, I was in, in my home country in Switzerland, in Geneva, right. and uh, I had a business, a publishing uh, business, uh, where we were uh, publishers of magazine and uh, equestrian sports, so polo and show jumping, so nothing to do with real estate. And actually, when I first came to Dubai, I came here to visit uh, my uncle. And, uh, and I ended up at the races, at uh, Nadal Shiba races. And I was walking around with my magazine. And then I met um, a prominent uh, local figure in the, in the horse world who said, hey, what's this magazine you're holding? And I said, well, that's a magazine I publish in Switzerland. But you should come and do it here. We love horses here. Why don't you come and establish your magazine here? I thought I was like, Really? Like, is, that, is, that, is there a market for this here? And then, you know, next thing you know, I, I launched my magazine. It was called Equestrio at the time. All the horse lover would remember it. Um, and we launched Equestrio here, Equestrio Arabia. And, um, and Equestrio Arabia did very well. Um, but it was very niche. It was a, an Equestria sports magazine. And so um, I thought, okay, now what's my next step? It's going to be something in editing and publishing, but I want to do something a little bit more mass market. What's missing in the mass market, and it was really the time when classifieds were picking up in uh, in, in, in Europe. I'm sure in Ireland you had them as well. You know those little classified uh, you know boxes where you had those uh, magazines with all the real estate advertising in it, and they were just do- they were just specialized for real estate. Mm. Um, so that's what that's the concept we took from Europe and we brought here: um, free distributed um, uh, real estate classified. Um, because we didn't have the distribution of Golf News, so the only way we could get the same reach is if we, were, if we distributed it for free. So we used to do, you know, in the lobbies of uh, hotels, in the lobbies of building, we used to distribute it as well door-to-door, um, and, and, and that's how we all kind of started.
0: Amazing. I didn't know there was the publishing uh, behind background to it, so that's fascinating. Was your business model then paid for listings like it might have been on classifieds? And at what point did you kind of become more of a, a portal? Yes, so the, the, the model
1: was as close as what you have today online, but for print. So people who read your eyeballs do not pay for the service. Who pays for it is the one who are benefiting from those eyeballs. So the advertisers, so the real estate brokers. So they would pay to list um, uh, in, our, uh, in our classified magazine. And, uh, and then we would you know, guarantee 100,000 copies would be distributed uh, on, on a weekly basis. You know? um, and uh, how did the model switch from print to online? Well, ultimately when we uh, attracted the investors from Australia and who literally saved us from bankrupting against you know, uh, the big Goliath that was Gulf News. We then said, look, it's going to be really hard to beat golf news as its game, right? In print, they definitely have a bigger audience than us. Um, They've got a bigger brand than us. And uh, they were quite uh, aggressive in the way that they were protecting their business, rightly so. Um, And so we said, well, we're not going to win the print war. So let's move to online. Um, The world will move online at some point. It might be a little bit early, but if we move now and we build a great online product, whenever that market moves to online, we'll be there ready to um, to benefit from it. And, um, and so the great thing was that the Australians were running the leading real estate portal in Australia. Australia was a little bit advanced in terms of internet penetration, so that was already the first uh, destination for all the property seekers. They would go online. And so you know I looked at their business model and I you know, thought, wow, this is pretty slick. Uh, it, it, you don't have to print it. Uh, everything is searchable with technology. And uh, real estate agents then, m- you know, moved from paying from, hey, I want to have my ad in one, two, three issues of the magazine to, well, now you got to buy a yearly subscription and then you pay that month. And then you pay a monthly fee for that, uh, for, for you to be able to advertise on the portal. So... Um, when REA invested into the business, that was uh, 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 in 2008, uh, we decided to kill the print. It was a big bet and move everything to online and uh, and build from there. And then, you know, overnight, we went totally off the radar of golf news uh, because suddenly we weren't, you know, a threat anymore because we weren't at print. Online was, you know, irrelevant at the time. Why would they even bother about an online competitor? nobody's going to ever look online you know everybody's going to go back to the newspaper and um and obviously as we know uh um things change uh habits changed
0: yeah strategically it sounds like a very smart move to disappear to play in a space where they're not um but i'm sure it wasn't as simple as that i'm sure there was competition and there were challenges um at, at what point you know the investment came in did you kind of Uh, did you relax then was it all plain sailing from then or how did it it kind of evolve from there so yeah I definitely relaxed because you know
1: pre-investment I had sleepless night on the 25th of the month thinking you know how am I going to pay my team you know and you know um, trying to keep this the business afloat so definitely when they came in you know, they invested a total of about $3 million. That was a fortune back in um, 2007, when they came in. Um, And, uh, you know, suddenly I had, you know, cash in the bank. I had uh, a shareholder that had deep pockets. uh, And I had a plan to basically conquer the market, which was to stop going head to head with a competitor and to go, you know, sideways and and, and attack from a different uh, angle. So, Definitely, I got to relax, and I got to think a little bit more long term. Um, you know, rather than thinking how I was going to meet at the end of the month and making sure that my customers, uh, uh, you know, would pay us and not move to Golf News. Now I was, you know, in a more long term uh, uh, position and saying, well. Look, you can definitely and you should definitely be in Golf News. Golf News is going to bring you a ton of exposure. But why don't you try a really cheap product, which is online, and it gives you an exposure online. And um, uh, until you don't have the leads uh, that you're happy with, you, know, you shouldn't you know, be paying a lot of money to us. But once we can show you that we deliver value to you, then whether a lead is coming from the print or whether it's coming from online, it really is uh, irrelevant to you. What matters is the value of the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, uh, uh, spent a lot of time uh, pitching digital advertising to an industry that was, had no idea about digital advertising. And that was also a fascinating journey, you know, uh, uh, taking uh, the real estate agents on, on this journey um, and, and, and working close with them. And, you know, till today, I've got uh, clients that have been with us for 15 years. I remember their, their, their agency. 15 years ago you know with three, four, five agents today they're agency with you know 100 200 agents it's right. it's been it's been beautiful to uh, to kind of you know grow the market uh, together yeah. um,
0: they're doing the transaction we're, we're we're marketing the properties um so it's been a fascinating uh, journey amazing yeah i think people will have at different touch points with property finder and of course at real estate agents everyone's either bought or rented in dubai so um, i'm sure people will will be very familiar uh, we'll go back a little bit later on the on the sort of fundraising and the prop tech space but just to touch on uh the real estate so what well, you know you mentioned advertising uh, did did they see property finder the real estate brokers and the agents as a place advertised did they see it as you know we, we look at aggregators in the fmb space and they see that as a disruptor and a, a margin eater or we see you know you mentioned Rupert Murdoch in Australia and, and, and that News Corp group and you know they see uh, the the tech companies as uh, utilities and taxes and there's a lot of kind of kind of struggle there the, the p- picture you're painting is a little bit more amicable uh, was that the case was it kind of um let's grow together and how did you kind of how did that happen
1: yeah I think that as an aggregator, we've managed to keep good relationships with uh, with our customers, um, and we haven't, uh, you know. Yes, sometimes there's a little bit of this love and hate kind of relationship because you know uh, um, we provide great value, but obviously it comes at a cost. Good. But I think what you know the real estate portals have done a little bit differently than the food aggregators is that we're not taking a commission, meaning that we're not looking at Uh, the transactions that they're making and saying we want 25 percent, 35 percent, which is what the food aggregators are saying to the restaurants, we want 35 percent of your business, of your revenues. Um, We we don't do that. We've got products that we sell and uh, they are um, a flat fee in the sense that uh, whether you close, whether they close the lead into a deal or not, uh is it, it won't impact what they pay us right so they pay a fee a monthly fee and then it's up to them to kind of make the best out of the fee, the leads that we deliver to them right so uh we're we're not eating into their their, their lunch the way <laughs> the way the food aggregators are eating into the restaurant's lunch if i can uh, if i can say
0: yeah amazing um i was sick on that for a second so obviously you know, the competitors, they can do their own portal, the real estate agents, they can advertise on you, they can do both. Um, it, do you see Property Finder, your only competitors, uh, similar to that? Or do you see, say, publishers uh, who who no longer have classified listings uh, or even the Googles and the Facebooks and the other advertising? How How wide do you see your competitors at the moment, Michael? Yeah.
1: So I think the publishers, you know, unfortunately for them, uh, fortunately for us, they've missed uh, the curve. Um, and if they haven't been able to move into the real digital space, um, you know, it's, uh, th- that train has gone. Um, and, you know, you guys are even uh, replacing the traditional pu- publishers and and, and and you know why, and you know why you're doing better than them. Um, when it comes to, you know, the, the big tech players, the Googles and Facebook of the world, I think any online business has to consider them as a, as a potential competitor. Um, they are a competitor to any online business, especially businesses that rely on search engine, meaning that if your traffic is coming from, from search engines and, and, and there's only one out there, right, then you, know, you should think about how to um, make sure that you're less reliable on this search engine. Uh, um, that's, that, 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 that's a fact. Uh, so uh, do we see uh, the real estate, I mean, uh, do we see the real estate agent's portal as a competitor? Um, uh, not at this stage.
0: As mentioned at the start of this episode, Dubai Works is powered by Zbuni. Zbuni gives businesses free tools to start, run and grow online, accept payments, build an e-store and create mobile invoices in minutes. InVIP is a concierge service for luxury experiences that manages all virtual transactions through Spoonie. As there are so many permutations of what has been provided, Spoonie is the perfect partner to ensure invoices are prepared on the go and payments are made in a timely manner. A critical hurdle to allowing InVIP to move quickly and secure opted-in experiences for their customers. at the same. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So just kind of sticking on the, the, the journey so far as well, um, the decisions like we kind of take it for granted that, you know, that you're a property specialist, the property finder, is very successful. It's very well known. It's scaling across the region. Were there, were there times in the journey where you said, OK, we've disrupted one uh, vertical of classifieds. Should we do another? Should we go into insurance? Should we do this? Should we do this? Uh, what was the strategic roadmap in in that regard?
1: So I believe um, you know that every growth business, every startup, every growth business, every business should have as much focus as possible, right? Especially if you're trying to do things differently and you're trying to change um, uh, the way an industry works, uh, you want to be extremely focused. Um, it's been you know many times we've been thinking should we go into other areas. Um, you know, like you said, insurance or cars or jobs classified. Um, and, and we really believe in, the, in, in, in order to deliver value to our users who come to the site, in order to deliver value to our paying customers, we have to remain focused on property, on real estate sector. And, you know, until the house hunting journey isn't a seamless journey as ordering food, right, or as ordering a car, um, I think we still have a lot of room for improvement. As long as there's friction in this process, Property Finder's mission isn't completed. And it'll take a long time until we take out all the friction points of a, of a real estate or of a house uh, hunting journey. Fascinating. Um,
0: Do you define that as a mission? Do you define it as removing friction? Is that how you position it?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're really defining uh, our mission as enabling people to better their lives. Right. Because, you know, uh, being able to find the right home for your family um, is is, is really probably the most uh, step change that you can do in your lifestyle. Um, uh, But clearly our our, our mission is to take away the friction during that journey until you, you know, from the moment you say, hey, I'd like a bigger home. I'd like a home with a view. I'd like a, a house with a garden to the moment that you actually move into it, Um, whether you're renting, whether you're buying, whatever whatever the journey you decide to take, um, there are multiple friction points along the way. And uh, we are working closely with all the actors, right? Sometimes, you know, resident agents, the owners, the banks that get involved in order to make sure that, you know, we can um seamlessly improve this uh, this experience uh, that's what online businesses do we need to offer an amazing user experience uh, that's our obsession
0: yeah exactly and then yeah if you get that right the world's your oyster you can keep scaling it because the internet keeps keeps getting bigger and bigger for everyone and the adoption but michael going back to the fundraising when you were speaking to the initial uh, partners uh was pro. Tech, a, a term. Were you structured? Uh, were, were you structured as a startup? Uh, and what was that? What has that journey been like? And you know, you as a founder and a CEO, how much of your time has gone into raising funds and telling the journey and speaking to investors over the last decade?
1: So, in my in my journey, I've had uh, two types of investor, right? And I've had kind of two types of fundraising. I've got the first one, which was. From a strategic, which was the Australian company that we talked about, that came in and you know literally kind of saved us and uh and, and invested, but they took a majority of the business, they took 51% of the business back in the days. I remained as the CEO and ran the company. Um, and at the time, you know, that they were the only investor I spoke to. I didn't kind of go to other investors, nobody was interested in my business. Um, and there wasn't a VC scene at the time. There wasn't any venture capital money being invested in that kind of businesses. So the only potential investor was a, a strategic that knew the business and that wanted to enter this part of the world. Um, and then there's a second part uh, of fundraising is when I went to the VC. So um, uh, what happened in between, maybe I can share that for, for, for two, three minutes. Basically when the uh, global financial crisis uh, hits the world, uh, you know I remember we were all sitting in Dubai thinking, it's not going to hit Dubai. Dubai seems to be immune, you know. Uh, things to ha- things, you know, s- seem to come to Dubai with a couple of months of delay. But you know, three four months after it ha- hit the U.S. and Europe, well, we started, you know, feeling the effect here in Dubai. And then, uh, you know, real estate market, uh, real estate prices started plummeting, and people started panicking. There were articles of people, you know, fleeing the country and leaving their cars at the airport. Um, and uh, the Australians were suddenly, you know, also dealing with a crisis at home. Uh, they had a big business there that required them to focus on their core markets. And, um, and they, were, they wanted to see Dubai kind of break even, right? And, you know, they just had recently invested about a year ago and uh, said to them, well, that was never the plan, right? I mean, the plan is that you guys come in, you invest, but then you invest further because, you know, we're here to take the market and the market is, is there for us to grab. Yeah, but, you know, we're not too sure about this part of the world. We're not too sure we don't want to be there. Um, And the conversation started becoming difficult. And ultimately, it became evident that, you know, we weren't aligned in terms of the vision. I wanted to double down during the crisis because I felt that this was the time when the resident agents, you know, were looking for an alternative to an expensive advertising channel, which was newspaper. Um, And, you know, we, we had a product, but we needed to kind of spend more on marketing in order to make our product relevant. And they didn't see it this way and, uh, and, and, and ultimately, we, uh, we, we agreed to part way and I was able to uh, buy them out. Um, and obviously, buying, buying a partner out in the middle of a crisis is, is a very different uh, 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 conversation than, than, than buying out a partner when, when you're at the top of the game, right? So I was able to kind of take control back of the business at, a, at an interest, at a interesting, I would say, price for the business. Um, and, you know, keep my teams secure because obviously what they wanted is the business to break even. So they wanted to let go half of the people. But I really believe that, you know, we had something in our hands and we'd go through this crisis and then, and then Property Finder would become a winner out of this crisis. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that worked out well. We were able to, uh, to, uh, to, to buy them out. I also bought out my co-founder at the same time because um, he was also not so sure about, uh, about, about uh, where Dubai was heading. I think very few people, especially people that were not in Dubai, you know, didn't, wouldn't, would not bet on Dubai's longevity. But when you lived in Dubai during the financial crisis and you would, you know, socialize and you would go out to restaurants and to bars and clubs and you would see that, you know, life went on, you know, like yes, there was a little bit of a crisis and, and, but, you know, people were there to stay, or well, at least the core of the people were there to stay. Those that were fleeing at the airports were people who just had come for a quick buck and realized that, you know, that buck wasn't there anymore to be made. So they left. Um, but the true businesses stayed here and this city was, you know, building amazing infrastructure. And so it was, to me, it was obvious that it was going to, uh, to survive and to actually thrive uh, uh, from, from this crisis. And, you know, Dubai has proven it to us um a second time this time but this was the first time that you know Dubai reacts really well to crisis it rebounds really well it has kind of that fighter mentality it has kind of like let's go for it and we can you know reinvent ourselves and and and, and grow from our ashes yeah. and uh and the market you know rebounded and it was uh and um and 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 it was uh you know the market started uh, coming back and, and and we were there to benefit from it
0: Amazing. I think some people have the have the fighter mentality and the double down approach, like Dubai does, that, that you have, and maybe others who flee uh, didn't. A fascinating story, and obviously the parallels between now and then. Uh, people listening will will kind of relate. It's really interesting. Some of the themes and the articles that we saw a year ago. As well um, but so going back to that time in terms of uh, how did you go about funding the buyouts did you get other did you get debt was debt available did you How? Did, okay you believed in the market uh, how did you go about it
1: so when I sold the control of the business right when they came in and bought the control of the business they invested three million I told you um, majority of that, you know, uh, went into the business, but a good chunk of it uh, went to the to the founders, to myself and my uh, my co-founder at the time. Um, and I'm, you know, fortunately for us, we didn't uh, we didn't blow it all off. <laughs> and uh, and two years later, when the opportunity to buy them out came, um, that was enough money to buy them out, right? It was, you know, in the middle of a crisis, and you know, we bought them out, you know, uh, at a at a, at a big discount from what they had paid to come in, mm-hmm. and uh, so the the money that we had uh, taken from the business was enough to buy them out.
0: Um, so that's
1: the the answer to your question.
0: It's a brilliant, uh, being very enterprising, and you know, it's a brilliant entrepreneurship, strategic move by you on that part. Were you more reluctant then, or was it harder to convince the next partners, bearing in mind that those guys, that partner knew the mark, knew the industry. And they were strategic and they were supposed to see long term, but they didn't. So had you cold feet going back to the market again? Did you think that, well, I'm going to have to do this myself?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the the, the the business was in a very different position when we went back to raise funds. Right. So we didn't go immediately. So we bought them out in 2009 at the financial, you know, at the middle of the financial crisis. And I raised my first uh, VC round in two, 2012. So three years went in between. And during these three years, um, the the landscape changed, meaning that the real estate agents now uh, totally considered property finder as a viable source of leads and started paying for their subscription uh, to list on property finder. Um, And uh, also the users uh, suddenly saw the benefits of going to online, that the search experience online was um, a, a lot more friendly than than using a newspaper. So when we went back to the market to raise three years later, we actually had a business. You know, we had rebounded uh, from the bottom. Uh, we were in in uh, we weren't in a leading position yet because you know uh, the general classified was also there and they were also providing good value. But we had a brand, and um, and uh, I didn't go to a strategic. But I had to go to somebody that understood classified, right? Uh, uh, and tech, and, and and I think that was again, you know, one of the lucky moments of, of, of this journey is uh, right at that time, uh, the founders of uh, one of the founder of or the co-founder of uh, bait.com, which is the number one uh, job websites in the in the region, had exited his business. Uh, he sold his shares to one of the shareholder and uh, decided you know, that he wanted to go into VC investments and uh, hadn't started yet his VC fund, um, uh, which is today called Beko Capital. And uh, and him and I, you know, were introduced uh, um, and when Danny Farha and myself met, it was like, you know, he understood all the challenges I was going through. And uh, he saw the opportunity of real estate classified as being a, a, a huge vertical Probably bigger than the job vertical, and um, uh, he said, yeah, i'm game. I want to invest into your business. I love it and uh, and, and, and that's how I raised you know that first kind of uh, VC round in two thousand and twelve
0: amazing did they you were running the business as well, like the day to day, the management of people how did you uh, how did you do both? How did you do everything, not just in terms of time but in terms of skill set and capacity?" Because fundraising, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but uh, it's it's challenging to understand and uh, to raise funds and to tell that story as well as um, how many people. Like you know, we mentioned three hundred individuals. You're obviously managing people as well. How did you manage?
1: So we didn't have three hundred people at the time, right? Uh, But the truth is, you need a great team around you. I mean. You know you have me here sitting in front of you and telling you about all this amazing story but me without my team i'm i'm uh, I'm, I'm just another dreamer right uh i need the people uh, to to be able to deliver all that so i've had i had a great team i had a great uh um you know number two that was running the business with me uh who really did an amazing job on the day-to-day operations and uh, that gave me, you know, that freedom to go in and and pitch for uh, for for new money. So the team was was absolutely essential, making sure that you've got a team that is that can run the business. And then externally also, I had you know uh, I had friends in my network that knew private equity, that knew VC investment, and that were advising me as well. Um, and so they were. Ex- you know immensely also helpful and in, and in, in helping me navigate the maze of fundraising and term sheets and all of that was quite new back in the days right um so but i guess that's what you know entrepreneurs do we we, we juggle with a lot of uh, a lot of things uh, uh and and but more importantly we surround ourselves with uh, with the right teams and and that's how only that's how that's possible
0: very interesting and then you you kind of learn as you do it as well but you stay stayed focused you you know, in hindsight, you've done a lot of kind of playbook advice that people would say for entrepreneurs to do. Um, what, what stages is property finder at now in terms of, uh, maturity as a business? Uh, what sort of, how much have you raised totally? What round are you in? And, and, um, how would you say the current stage that you're in, if you can reveal it's just in terms of the, the phase of the, the growth of the company?
1: Yes, yeah, so um, very different from the scrappy early days. Uh, it is now what we call, you know, a growth phase, a scaling phase. So it's a phase where you know you try to uh, build a business that is going to be robust and that can survive, uh, you know, the future crisis that will come to this world, and uh, that can scale across multiple markets. Um, and that can be predictable, right? Because that's what investors want. They want a business that can grow and that is uh, that is uh, predictable in the way that it's uh, that it's growing. So um, over the years, we've done uh, uh, from venture funds, right? We've done kind of three rounds. Uh, Becco was uh, the first round that we did in 2012, um, where we raised uh, approximately two million dollar. We raised then. Twenty million dollars uh, in 2015 from an investor uh, from Sweden called Vostok, which is also specialized in tech. And then uh, more recently, actually two years ago now, 2018, um, a little over two years ago, we raised uh, from private equity, American private equity, uh, General Atlantic, $120 million. And, uh, and I think that was really kind of the, a big game changer. Uh, not necessarily in terms of funding. Yes, of course, funding allows you to do a lot more, um, but also in terms of the talent that you can attract into your organization. Um, building an employer brand is as important as building a consumer brand. Uh, why? Because an employer brand enables you to attract amazing talents. And in a, in a business where you know everything is about your talent because we don't sell you know, hard goods, material, we sell digital products, and digital products are built by people. And so attracting the right people is going to make you or, or not. And so um, having these kind of triple A uh, uh, investors like General Atlantic, who's a very well-renowned investor in the tech space, you know, they've done, uh, 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 uber they've done airbnb they've done uh, dropbox they've done you know you name it all the companies that they've been backing um suddenly having a name like that in our cap table then you know top talents of uh, uh of other tech companies start thinking oh, wow, what's going on at property finder that's kind of interesting you know maybe i should uh i should see what you know is there is there something maybe maybe there's an opportunity there and and and, and that has you know been of a game changer because we've been able to attract
0: amazing people to the organization. Amazing it's pretty inspiring listening to Michael talk about that but uh, and also what's really nice is a Dubai success story that not only did you uh did people here and you believe in what was happening here but also that you brought not just you brought two European and and American uh, investors to believe in the region uh, so it's fascinating. Do do you think uh, a kind of a you know you don't have to reveal your your future growth strategy, but do you think in terms of the ecosystem on on startups and fundraising? Are are we what what does exits look like? Uh, you know, is it always um, a multinational and particularly around uh, the prop tech space because you know. When, when I made the example of Ireland and when we talk about maybe in, in Switzerland, Europe and Australia and here, the the companies in your space seem to be indigenous homegrown. Does that mean that your, your roadmap or your exit is different? And would you entertain, um, a fairly blunt question, would you entertain a, a listing on a regional stock market as an opportunity?
1: Um, so many questions there. Uh, uh, first of all, I... You know, on the on the ecosystem, it's still a young ecosystem. It's still a young kind of tech ecosystem. But it's amazing what's happening right now in in the UAE and Saudi and in, in, in the region in general. We are seeing a lot of startups popping up. And you know, there's no shortcut to creating an ecosystem. There's got to be funding that comes in. There's got to be successes. There's got to be failures. There's got to be learnings, uh, not only from the entrepreneurs, from the investors as well. Um, and, and and that is kind of happening right now at the at the, at the moment. Um, in terms of uh, of, 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 of exits, I think I've never really built this business thinking I'm building this business to sell it. I'm actually building this business to solve a problem. And the problem that we're solving is, as I told you earlier, not solved yet, right? And we still have quite a lot to do in order to offer that seamless experience to our users. Um, What's I want to provide is what I need to provide my duty as a CEO is to provide liquidity to the investors that have come in and who want to exit. Um, So uh, that is being done. And we've uh, allowed many earlier investors that came in into property finder to exit when general Atlantic came in. And so it was, it was a nice moment, right. To make, to see, you know, uh, creating, uh, changing lives for the people that have uh, either worked for you or, or believed in you in the early days and making a really nice exit for them um, with meaningful you know, uh, money that would change their lives uh, was a great moment and a great achievement. Um, but right now, my, my shareholders are, are, are very aligned with me. They believe that you know, our journey is not finished, that there's still a lot more room to grow. Yes, we've been at it for 15 years, but uh, you know, Property Finder has a lot more Uh, a lot more to grow. And I think as long as they're not in a rush to exit, then we don't really need to think about that exit, right? And we don't really need to kind of answer, you know, the listing on a local stock market or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, I, you know, listing on your local stock market makes a lot more sense than going to a foreign stock market. Uh, and, And if you can do that, you know, one should. Uh, because when you go to a foreign stock market, you have to explain, so why are you coming to London to list? Why are you coming to the US to list? If you have a business that's in the Middle East, why aren't you listing in the Middle East? Now, um, the stock market has to be uh, adapted to, to your listing. The rules around it have to be adaptive. And, and also, more importantly, the liquidity has to be there, right? Because if you're listing a business, uh, the main purpose of listing a business is to be able to sell and buy your shares uh, any day. And if there isn't a liquidity because the depth of the market or the depth of the investor behind the stock market isn't there, um, then you're not going to get that liquidity, and therefore you get all the challenges of being a public company without having the liquidity of your stock, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the markets here are maturing, uh, and uh, they are taking feedback. We are talking to them. We are giving them uh, what we believe needs to change, And, um, and hopefully we'll have vibrant local stock markets at some point um in tech we have vibrant local stock markets don't get me wrong but they're not kind of i think the tech you know uh, equities on on, on, on the middle eastern stock market are you know below five percent when when they're more than half of the of the NAS, uh, the more than half of the equity market in the us mm.
0: it's such a it's so interesting to talk about and thank you for sharing not just in terms of property finder but in terms of retail investors and household names and to, to hear it from that point of view and percentage is really interesting uh, so yes fascinating for the growth of the region outside of, of the real estate space but just talking about uh your growth and choosing different markets of course uh people um you know real estate is uh very visual in dubai it's fascinating there are many dreamers in real estate there's many amazing opportunities uh there aren't there aren't 20 Dubai's across the region. How do you choose where to go next? And how do you uh, apply the the success story, the blueprint for property finder in other markets? Yes.
1: So how we chose to go next versus how we choose today to go next is very different. (laughs) Back in the days, how did we choose to go into a new market? We went online and we looked for a portal that had property listing. And if there wasn't property listings in that market, we say, let's go. And then we went and we decided to open into those markets. Very little study went behind it. Very little, you know, thinking, I want to say, went behind it. And we kind of said, you know, the UAE is, 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 is a very good market, very vibrant market. But at the end of the day, it's only 10 million population. And we're operating in the Arab world that has, you know, over 300 million population. So, you know, why not go to another market? And so we, we, we went immediately to Qatar, which was uh, um, a similar kind of Gulf uh, country with an expat population uh, with also real estate projects and that didn't have a real estate portal. And um, uh, the reason why we kind of rushed to those markets is because when you're building a, net, a marketplace that has network effects, being the first mover is extremely important, right? And uh, being the first one to build this network effect then uh, uh, enables you to have a leading position in the, in the market. So we kind of went and decided that we will go in Qatar Bahrain and Egypt and Saudi and uh, Lebanon and Morocco. And uh, the truth is, you know, we probably took more than we could chew on. Um, we went into so many markets thinking that you know they'll be very similar to the UAE. Some were. Some weren't. right? So if I take Qatar and Bahrain, you know, with the same product, with the same uh, uh, strategy, uh, with the same kind of DNA in our team, uh, we were able to build a business. When you go to countries like Egypt, uh, Morocco, uh, Saudi, each and every one has its local specificities. And they're very, very different from the UAE. And so it's okay to deal with one market that's different than your home market. But if you're suddenly dealing with, you know, three, four markets that are different, um, it becomes quite complex, you know. And suddenly you have so many things to do and and, and prioritization becomes uh, uh, hard. And, uh, you know, you start getting, you start spreading yourself too thin. So I always say to, you know, younger entrepreneurs who say, hey, we want to go in this market, we want to do this, we want to do that. I say, make sure that you win, first of all, your home market you got to be an absolute leader in your home market before you go into another market. Because that market will come with a whole new um, range of problems that you're going to have to deal with. And if you're not 100% secure in your home market, then your whole business will kind, of, will kind of drown. So we were fortunate to have a good, strong position in the UAE, which enabled us to do kind of trial and errors in some other markets. And we did, we did our errors, right? I mean, we didn't, definitely didn't get everything right. Um, and, and no entrepreneur does, that's how we, uh, that's how we, 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 we grow. We, we try something, if it works, we continue, we double down. If it doesn't work, we fail fast and then we move on, right? And um, sometimes I would have liked to fail faster in some markets. So we realized that, you know, Morocco is going to be a really hard market. Uh, we thought that it was, it was, you know, a 30 million population that it should have enough depth, but we realized that actually people that are buying and selling property in Morocco is a very, very thin portion of the, of the population. And so we decided that uh, this market won't move the needle for property finder, better to pull out of this market and put our resources in a market that will move the needle. Right. Um, and so we decided to pull out of two markets, which is Lebanon and Morocco, and, and that enables us to double down in markets that we see huge potential, um, like Egypt, 100 million population, we, we, build enough, you know, we build a good business over there uh, uh, that'll be... That'll be uh, uh, creating a lot of shareholder value and uh, and then making sure that we don't lose the market where we're uh, number one and continue to be a uh, uh, strong number one in UAE, Qatar, Bahrain, uh, etc.
0: Amazing. Fascinating. Yeah, I'm sure many people will have different sorts of market entry stories that can learn. And thanks for being frank on the sort of failures as well that not everyone on the podcast does. So good learnings and good to see that they're focused markets as well. Um, you, you know uh, i want to talk a little bit about the, the pandemic uh people will have seen certain narratives around property in dubai uh everyone seems to be interested people seem to be moving to bigger villas uh working from home turning their homes into offices uh and there seems to be a little bit of momentum in, in the real estate market how has property finder navigated the pandemic and how do you see the sort of uh the, the next couple of years uh with in regard of uh sort of recovery so
1: as every company you know the pandemic uh was challenging times because there was so much unknown we didn't know how long it would last how you know how long those low lockdowns would uh would force us to stay home and as any business even though we are a digital business suddenly to go from working all in the office to everybody working remotely came with its challenges luckily we were prepared Um, and, and again, my team played a massive role in that, uh, and, uh, and, and we had a bit of kind of a seamless, uh, transition to working from home. Um, what really hit us is the fact that, well, hold on, if you can't leave home, that means you can't visit properties. If you can't visit properties, our real estate, uh, agents, our customers can't do viewings. If they can't do viewings, they can't close deals. If they can't close deals, they don't make commission. If they don't make commission... How can they pay Property Finder? And that was kind of a big moment where, you know, all my customers turned to me and said, what are we going to do? And then we said, well, we're going to try to help you. But, you know, we also have a business to run. And then they said, yeah, but you need to absolutely help us. And, um, and that's where we had to find a middle ground. And, um, and, 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 and I'm sure you remember this being, you know, uh, media who were delighted to talk about these moments and, and and but ultimately you know we all came around the table and 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 agreed on the, on a the way forward um, and we gave them you know a, a, a months for free uh, to to subscribe to property finder during those lockdowns um, It turned out that the market reopened much faster than what we had anticipated and rebounded much faster than we had anticipated so um Today, when I bump into my dear customers, I tell them uh, I smile at them. I said, uh, yeah. "You got the better of me on this one," but uh, you know we're we're in the long term in this, so uh, so very happy that the business is back, and, and 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 very happy that the real estate sector has been, as we say, you know, one of the COVID darlings, as uh, as odd as this sounds, right? I mean, people are spending more time home, as you said. People are looking, you know, for bigger homes to 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 work and to have an office in there, and so. Everybody started saying, "Well, uh, let me let me rethink of my setup. Whether I'm renting, I also want to rethink of my setup." And a lot of people that you know wanted to buy for many years in Dubai that always thought that, oh, "Man, those prices are still going up. It's so expensive." Suddenly, prices have come down, and banks were suddenly loaning below three percent mortgages, which has never been seen before uh, in the UAE. So suddenly, you could own a home um, that you know couple of months before you couldn't dream of and what happened is that a lot of those potential buyers that were renting in dubai for many years that had always been kind of sitting on the fence to kind of buy went into being the first time buyers mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 bought you know uh, the properties when they kind of hit or when they believe that they hit the, the low point of the market and that generated kind of that rebound that that, that what we call pent-up demand mm-hmm. um, and so uh, yes, the real estate markets uh, rebounded very well, uh, but not all part of the markets. Right? Let's let's be honest. Not everywhere in Dubai it rebounded well. Definitely, houses did much better than apartments for obvious reasons. People wanted gardens and wanted to be able to um, not be locked into a glass tower. Um, and then you know, any property that had a balcony or an open view to the ocean, uh, sea um you know would do well uh so uh, suddenly there was you know for those very kind of particular properties these did, done extremely well and uh and there is you know all the real estate agents will will testify that you know it's been one of the best uh times for them mm-hmm. uh over these last uh, couple of months like q4 and now q1 are mm-hmm. extremely good months uh, in terms of uh, volumes of transactions
0: and just go to show how quick things move you know the initial sort of wobble or fear uh you know has changed now in the landscape and the is different um i'm conscious of time there is so many things we could talk about real estate i met a broker the other day who told me that he was just passionate about it he loves everything about it and i think you know there are many people who just really into it like say football <laughs> but um just uh, we always kind of finish up on the podcast and uh ask about the guest, your your view, Michael, on this region as an emerging market, and particularly uh, with respect of uh, you know you you're from another country, you have investors from other markets. Um, what's your outlook? Will this region emerge in in whatever classification? Are are you optimistic in the next say decade or two for this region? Uh,
1: the short answer to this is absolutely. <laughs> Great, I'm absolutely optimistic. Um, Uh, you know, we have one thing in common with your brand and and myself is that we both love Dubai. Um, So uh, I am very optimistic. Why? Because I've seen Dubai uh, and the UAE, not just Dubai, but the the country uh, evolve very methodically over the last 15 years. Uh, Dubai has consistently proven that they are determined to keep uh, its uh, expats, or I more want to call it local resident population uh, engaged and, and happy and give them no reason to leave and to go wherever home is. And they've done that in a way that uh, enabled them to keep their identity, to keep uh, the country uh, safe. Um, and, you know, every year the UAE does a move in that direction it, and it opens up to the world without moving away from their local values. And, and and I think that has been admirable to watch. Uh, and we've witnessed more of that in the recent kind of year, uh, uh, you know, more recently uh, with Abrahamic Accords, pure tolerance with talk conversations around citizenship. I mean, these are all seismic moves in the region. And I think that you know the world doesn't really realize uh, what that means for the region, but this is really you know what we, as you know, newcomers to Dubai thought it was going to be impossible that you know, they would go there one day. And that day has come and has come sooner than what we thought, right? Uh, the, mo- the world is moving faster. And, and, and what's great to always see with the UE government is that they're adapting to that speed. Yes, of course, we, would all want every gov- we all want governments to move faster. But if I look at the governments and compare our governments, the UE government compared to any governments in the world, they adapt very quickly and uh, they come out with uh, regulations that uh, um, are uh, response uh, to the local needs at the moment uh, so i am i am very you know uh, uh, i'm very opportuni- i'm very bullish about uh, the uae and i've also seen how the uae brand how the dubai brand has grown uh, over the years uh, pitching a business in the in this part of the world you know 10 years ago was a very different job than pitching it today. Today, everybody has seen what Dubai delivered. Everybody has come to the UAE and has visited either Abu Dhabi or Dubai and has been out by the tolerance that we see here, the open-mindedness, the security, um, the opportunities. Uh, These are uh, all successes that uh, uh, international investors cannot ignore. And so I'm seeing more and more appetite for this part of the world. Yes, it still has its challenges. Yes, there are still risks, but uh, it's doing everything it needs to do in order to uh, become a market where investors want to have an allocation, where they definitely want to be spending some time, um, because that matters, right? I mean, if you don't want to go to a place, you're not gonna invest there because at some point if you're gonna put a big portion of your capital to a certain region, you're going to have to visit this region once in a while. And, and so if you don't like visiting the region, then you're not going to allocate the capital. And Dubai does that really well, right? Hosting its guests. And, and, and during the pandemic, yes, it's being criticized for keeping its borders open, its, uh, its hotel open. But, you know, it's done that in a very calculated way. Um, and it's enabled Dubai to build a certain brand equity uh, that, you know, life goes on here. And it's been pretty amazing. And you know, we as uh, Dubai residents have been very fortunate to, uh, uh, to live in a city that has enabled us, allowed us to go to the beach uh, with, uh, with the right measures in place. Um, so uh, yes, um, I believe the country will continue to do what it needs to do. And the latest signs that we've seen uh, are
0: all a confirmation of that belief. Amazing. Well, thank you for that. Uh, it's an amazing sort of speech. <laughs> to, and your testimony, you, you, what you've done can back it up uh, individually and as Property Finder, uh, You know the, the belief in what's happening here and what can uh, be replicated in the region. So, Michael, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, we'll obviously continue to follow Property Finder's journey. And um, yeah, stay safe and uh, yeah, uh, uh, catch up again soon.
1: Thank you very much, Richard, and thank you to all your viewers and, and likers and people who share your great news. It's always amazing to, uh, to see good news on Dubai. As you can see, uh, I'm very passionate myself about, uh, about uh, the city and the country. Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: The show was powered by Zbouni. Once again, a big thank you to Zbuni who helped us bring this episode to you for free. Thank you to the show producer, Jana Kalashnikova and editor Ali Baba. Check out our other shows on Smashy TV and subscribe to Smashy to get more business news. See you next time on Dubai Works.